Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. For the last three weeks, we've been looking at a few questions. To whom do we pray? Whether or not it makes a difference and what kinds of things we should pray for. Today, we're going to get a glimpse into the thoughts of him who hears our prayers. Uh, what, What does God want us to know about prayers? I think the most important thing that we need to face before we read this passage is that prayer doesn't come naturally or easy. It's a learned skill. It's a learned behavior. And the reason that prayer is so hard is because we are born estranged from God. When we are born, our sin problem is hanging over us. I believe God is close to children, but they still have to be introduced to Him. Many of you know your your kids love Jesus, and they say things all the time that let you know that they love God, they love Jesus, they recognize Him when they see Him. When Elliot was very young, he was looking at a picture of Jesus with the little children, and I said, where's Jesus? And he pointed right to Him. I was amazed. God is reaching out to the children of the world in an amazing way, yet we are instructed in Old and New Testament to teach our children who Jesus is and what God requires. Why? Because as we grow up, we become more and more estranged from Him, and we're not always growing closer and closer to Him. When I was a very small child, I read the Bible with my mom, and I noticed the Ten Commandments on our wall. But when I got a little older, I became immune to it all, and it took someone really sharing the gospel with me to bring me to a place where I could put my trust in Jesus. And because we are estranged from God, we treat Him like a stranger. You don't go up to strangers in your hour of need and ask them for anything. The only time you do is when family or friends are unavailable. The stranger may or may not help you and may take advantage of you, so the only time you ask a stranger is when you are really up against the wall. You're much more comfortable asking a friend or family member. They will say yes. They will help you. They will be generous. They have to. They're family. And in our passage today, Jesus is going to give us a new idea on how to see God, approach God, and pray to God. So let's uh, get into our passage, but first let's, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And I ask, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, please, please be our teacher today. Instruct us in and how to pray, and how to connect with you, and encourage us and remind us to do that often. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. We often have pictures of of Jesus going up onto the mountaintop to pray. No, No doubt Jesus prayed in private, and a very personal, he had a very personal private relationship with God. But Jesus' life of faith was not a private thing all the time. He was out in front of people, praying, teaching, and doing ministry all the time. He needed private time with God for sure, but much of his religious life uh, was right out in the open. And let's face it, his entire life was his religious life. Jesus walked with God in public for all to see and in private when he did more alone time with his Father. And so his disciples witnessed his walk with Jesus. They'd seen rabbis, Pharisees, priests all walk in their religious lives. Jesus was different, though. He taught differently, lived differently, blessed differently, and even prayed differently. And everyone saw that what Jesus did was different. Everywhere he went, people remarked that his religious leadership was different than anyone else's. He wasn't like a rabbi. Instead, he taught with bold authority. He wasn't like most priests. Uh, He healed you himself. He wasn't like the Pharisees. He was more concerned with the condition of your heart than just your outward behavior. Uh, 
And surely Jesus' prayers saw great effect. He prayed for people and they were healed. He prayed for wisdom and direction from God. And then he made an immediate decision to go somewhere at just the perfect time. He prayed and asked God for answers and he got them. He prayed for very specific things and personal things and instead of broad religious platitudes. And his disciples said, wow, I wish I could do that. And I don't know if you've ever been around a very gifted person and wished that you could do what they do. But I've heard other Bible teachers and thought, wow, I wish I could teach like that. You've probably felt that way with Bible teachers or worship leaders or chaplains or whatever. Well, let me encourage you. God wishes for you to grow in your giftings as you serve him. Whatever your gifting is, he wants you to be good at it. But most of all, he wants you to be really good at praying to him. Praying to him, not as a stranger, but as your very close personal father and friend. Let's look at verse 2. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. You'll first notice here that Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is shorter than Matthew's. And actually the one we say from time to time is kind of a combination of both. It's not just straight from Scripture. Luke doesn't mention that our Father is in heaven. Luke doesn't use debts or trespasses. He just calls it sin, and he leaves off the ending with the honor and power and the glory. And don't get distracted by that. Remember, Jesus isn't giving you a prayer to memorize here. He's giving you a pattern by which to pray. And that's one of the real tragedies, I think, of how we use the Lord's Prayer. First of all, I think it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. After all, Jesus had no sins to forgive. Uh, it's the Lord's Prayer in that the Lord taught it to us, but this disciple is, or this prayer is a model for his disciples, for all disciples. But the real tragedy is that Jesus wasn't trying to give us something to memorize to pray. He was giving us a model by which to form our own prayers. We use written prayers here a lot. We use old Puritan prayers from a book called The Valley of Vision. These are good and they teach us a lot, but I would also warn against thinking that God wants to hear those prayers more than the spontaneous prayers you pray on the spot, which come from the feelings and desires of your own heart. They might not be as articulate, but they're just as valid. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught against using useless ramblings in prayer. And we Christians have taken the Lord's Prayer and at times made it into just that. So don't do that. Study the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer and use it as training wheels until you can fly down the road with your own personal prayers. And how will God respond? Is he an old curmudgeon who really doesn't want to answer your prayers? Is he a hoarder who won't share the blessings? Do you have to pray everything technically right or else he'll find a technicality and then uh, he'll reject your prayer because it wasn't done in just a certain way? No. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give, get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The parable that Jesus tells here is actually a preposterous idea. Even in the Middle East today, um... When I was teaching in Chicago before I came here, I remember talking to a Saudi Arabian guy, and he was telling me about the very traditional Bedouins and what their culture is like, and they probably reflect the ancient people of the Middle East better than, say, the people of Dubai today. 
He said, if you, if you have a favor to ask of anyone, you go into their tent and they'll pour you a cup of tea. You put the cup to your lips, then you put it down and say, you put the cup to your lips and then you put it down and you say, I won't drink until you give me what I ask. To which the tea pourer says, I'll do anything for you, but go to war. Also, if any hungry traveler comes around, you are very obligated to give at least bread, if not kill the fatted calf too. So the scenario Jesus hypothesizes here would have made everyone mad in the first place. If a friend treated you this way, you'd look at this person and say, then you're dead to me. It was very much a, dead, a you're dead to me culture, and, and that should inform several of the parables Jesus tells, actually. If, in a parable, someone has the right to be really offended, then they would have often treated the offender as dead to me. But anyone forgiving uh, that would, would be even a more rare occurrence. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you who are evil think that this is a preposterous scenario and you'd never treat a friend that way and none of your friends would treat you that way, then God, who is righteous, would never act this way toward you either. Even so, if you think God is withholding blessing from you because he is stingy, then make such a racket at his gates that he'll surely wake up and want to quiet you down all the more. He's not asleep, I promise. Neither are those in his house. He never locks his door. He doesn't need to. He's not annoyed by your need, and all good bread comes from him anyway. He desires to be more generous than even your most generous friend. Look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask for your needs. Ask for your friend's needs, your wants, your desires, your favors from him. Knock at his door and make such a racket that you'd think he'd call security. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Be undignified. Call in the middle of the night and put him on the spot. He'll answer with a smile. After all, he's a good, good father. Look at verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is good. He won't give you ironic gifts. But also remember, if you ask for a snake, and sometimes we ask for snakes, don't we? But if you ask for a fish, he won't give you a snake. And likewise, if you ask for a snake, he will give you a fish. If you ask for a scorpion, he'll give you an egg. He's not in the business of giving you things you shouldn't have, things that won't be good for you. And there's one thing he really wants to give you, and that is himself. When you become a believer, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, but when you believe, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and that's the greatest gift of all. Why? The Holy Spirit, and when we say Jesus is in my heart, we mean through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives you all those fruits of the Spirit that we preached about during our family services. Do you need love? Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with love. Do you need joy? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the joy of the Lord. It will strengthen you. If you need peace and the chaos around you, the Holy Spirit will introduce it so much that you don't just feel peace. You become a peacemaker. What you need in your life is sometimes tangibles, your daily bread. What you need all the time is the Holy Spirit of God in your life your guarantee of his presence with you. God the Father is on the throne, listening to your prayers and ruling the universe with wisdom and power. Jesus is your advocate, standing at the Father's right hand, interceding for you. 
The Holy Spirit is your connection to the whole Trinity and all that God wants to give you and do in your life. If you ask for gold, he may not give it abundantly. You may cast an idol with it. If you ask for power and influence, you may use it for unholy purposes. If you ask for more of God himself in your life, you'll get it. There's no downside. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold, houses or lands, or any office this world may offer me. If I have God the Father and Jesus the Son in the form of the Holy Spirit in my life, then I'll have all the riches of being that I need, and I can be confident that I'll have it if I pray for it, because God is more generous than even my most generous friend. Pray to Him. Be confident of provision from Him. Make a racket if you think you aren't getting the answer you wanted, but most of all, be ready for Him to give you what you really need, and that's more and more and more of himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us your joy, your peace, your love, and all the fruits of the Spirit. Lord, help us to be confident uh, prayer givers, prayer offerers. Lord, help us to be to be confident that you want to be generous to us, Lord. And so if a prayer isn't answered, it's because we've accidentally asked for a snake and you won't give it to us. Lord, give us the good bread, the good fish, the good eggs, not the snakes, not the scorpions, not the stones. Give us the things that we need and help us to be content and overjoyed to have you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.